0: Hello, Stargazers. Welcome to Seventh House Astrology, where I take a topic that is either astrological or related to relationships and romance. I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Isaac, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So today's topic was really quite inspired by... A favorite actor of mine, Mads Mikkelsen, um, a lot of times with favorite actors, and I, I also should maybe add uh, Billy Burke in there as well, too, as a favorite actor. And many times with favorite actors, um, wh- one thing that I've noticed is that, you know, who they're married to usually becomes a big topic of discussion. You know, like with Mads Mickelson, I'm not really so much, you know, intrigued or interested in his own personal life as, as his filmography and, you know, getting to know him as an actor, credible actor, by the way, if you haven't seen Casino Royale, if you haven't seen any of Mads Mikkelsen's films for that matter, I I highly recommend it. Um, Definitely check him out. Uh, Great Danish actor, um, by the way. But, you know, like I said, I'm more um, intrigued by him as an actor. It's just, it seems like, you know, the great, how he met the great love of his life, AKA his wife, really popped up, um, into the conversation, into interviews. Um, and a lot of times that's what's featured too. And it just kind of got me to thinking when it came to astrology, um, if there is a sense of astrology of, um, you know, like a husband or a future spouse and, you know, again, is it just as miraculous as these stories with these actors are? You know, like with Billy Burke, um, who met his wife, you know, his then wife, Pollyanna Rose. Now she is his ex. They had, you know, they met. They had an incredibly long history with each other. Had a really um, very happy marriage while, you know, while it was uh, lasting. Um, and also with Mads Mickelson. he met his wife, I think like in 2000 and, you know, has hit it off ever since. So I'm kind of wondering if such things kind of exist or if it's just something that society quite creates for us, you know, and it could be kind of a, a myth and, um, you know, just really kind of exploring that just a little bit this week. So, uh, you know, I kind of looked up the astrology of a future spouse, um, And also, could the one um, actually be existent uh, when it comes to astrology? Well, what's kind of interesting was that um, the sources that I found, actually there were a lot of resources on Hindu astrology, otherwise known. uh, We know it as Vedic astrology, but it actually, in um, actuality, is Hindu astrology, there are a lot of websites on that. Um, actually I can, uh, the couple that I referred were medium and astrotalk where they really kind of get into like, what would your spouse look like, you know, based off of your natal chart or who would you be attracted to, um, based off your natal chart. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fascinating. Um, but there was a really, um, nice article on parade.com where, The, um, author, you know, obviously the author couldn't get into too much detail. She did actually interview an astrologer, symmetry astrologer, um, which I kind of note, I I know it kind of sounds like I'm kind of in disbelief with parade, but parade is like, you know, Elle magazine or parade can be like, um, you know, Vogue or then actually I would say parade is probably more like Vanity Fair where, you know, it's like there's a lot of good articles that are featured, but sometimes you kind of wonder like how deep is this person going to get into the, the article in and of themselves because they only have like two to four pages to get into their their article and really, you know, kind of keep it short, simple and yet interesting for an audience. But this particular author did um, interview a sinistry astrologer. And, um, the results were quite interesting. So the synastry astrologer really kind of reflected what I tend to do and how I've kind of have come to learn synastry astrology, which is she tends to take a look at the moon, Venus, Mars, and, um, one plant, which I have not included, but will start to do so, which is Jupiter and I thought that was interesting. One other thing that's kind of different from me is that I also include the son, because, you know, we do have ego in our relationship. Um, sometimes, you know, when we first meet our spouse, when we first meet people, we're kind of heavily egoic, and I kind of like to see how partners really support that, or how they deflect that, or how they might puncture that in a relationship. You know, if uh, a relationship might be a good match with the the position of the the sun or the sun's positions near each other's planets, you know, like if the sun's positioned near somebody's Pluto, I would probably say, uh, maybe back away and, and wait on that relationship or just maybe, you know, remain friendly and platonic in that relationship for some time because good chance that partner, who has the Pluto aspect is going to nail that person down or contemplate their bubble. But I think that that's equally important along with the emotional um, supportiveness in relationships as represented by the moon. The amount of romance, which is represented by Venus. And of, of course, there's the passion, the sex and the passion, which is represented by Mars. Now, where Jupiter comes in, I thought that this was interesting. Because with Jupiter, um, with my Jupiter episode, we basically kind of touched on how Jupiter is really more of an idealistic planet, very much like with Neptune, you know, um, we tend to support each other's ideals. In the relationship, especially if Jupiter is well-aspected in the sinistry the, um, chart, we're um, kind of supporting each other when it comes to our ideals and when it comes to our dreams and our goals in the relationship, whereas if it's not well-aspected, we're kind of following down a rabbit hole of idealisms that might not be necessarily healthy An instance of this could be that, um, say that someone has met somebody else who they find to be, well, kind of like my cousin a little bit where, you know, he met somebody, he kind of finds that she is the one. And honestly, I just see where he's maybe following down a dream or following down, like I said, idealism that's really more along the lines of obsession for him. Um, I think she also might instigate that in her chart. She might have something kind of beguiling, if you may, in her chart as well too. But uh, that's kind of an example of when Jupiter's not in good aspect is that somebody may become like kind of obsessed or just, they might just look like a smitten puppy, whereas the other person looks like they're just trying to take advantage of that particular individual. Either way, it's it's not a good look. Really, really it isn't. But uh, in the parade.com article, um, basically the astrologer mentioned that Jupiter can also represent not only the husband that you attract, but also can represent the partner that will bring us to a higher purpose in life, you know, knowing how broad Jupiter can be. Also, bringing prosperity with a long life together um, is also what it, it represents. Basically, uh, when in harmony, it can represent longevity of a relationship, and that's why this particular astrologer loves Jupiter and loves to use Jupiter rather a lot as well, too. Uh, within the article, um, she actually mentions that Jupiter is really representative of our future spouse um in life. So um just because it determines the longevity of a relationship and it's also it is one of the masculine planets along with the sun. I kind of think along with Saturn, along with Pluto, along with ooh, Mars, um, it has this very masculine energy. But I think the difference between Mars, something like Mars or Pluto and Jupiter, is that Mars can be really like the macho side of a guy um, or of the, the masculine energy. Pluto can be more of the controlling um, and the powerful, you know, overtly powerful aspect of masculine energy where I feel like Jupiter's just well-rounded um, when we kind of take a look at, uh, look at its aspects. So, and that's the sort of um, partner that we do want to attract. We don't want like, you know, complete Mars energy when we're taking a look at our partner because, you know, kind of like with uh, JFK and Marilyn Monroe, if it's overly sexual in the relationship, if there's not a lot of room for love, um, in there. Um, like I said with Marilyn Monroe and JFK, they actually did hit it off chemistry-wise. Um, they did hit it off also just in other aspects of their chart. What was sad, though, was that because they had that chemistry, that's really what, you know, that heavy Mars placement in their charts. That's what really kind of caused them to to hit it off. And that's really where their relationship was kind of centered, which is, like I said, it's kind of sad because they could have had a really great relationship between the two individuals. You know, they're both very magnanimous and they both had a lot of great aspects with Venus that were just really like nice, soft aspects that really could have, you know, helped that relationship out. But with Jupiter, it's, it's someone who we're looking for that's like well-rounded. And that's usually what we look for in a relationship is somebody who not too macho, not too powerful, just somebody who's like well-rounded and also still just very masculine as well, too. What's kind of interesting is that Jupiter as well, too, I usually think of Jupiter as being a masculine planet. It's actually used in this article for both um, women who are looking for... A partner. Uh, men um, end up looking, I think they represent themselves as the sun. And I think they're looking towards Venus if they're looking for a wife. However, with a man who's looking for another man, he's also looking at Jupiter and also those who are non-binary are also um, encouraged to look towards Jupiter. So it seems like it's um, the planet that kind of represents both male and female um, collective energies. I wouldn't be surprised with men if um, maybe a combination between Venus and Jupiter is recommended. I mentioned Venus with men because um, Venus is obviously the very feminine planet um and the feminine energy so it's like if you're looking for a wife look towards venus um, in the relationship and how that how that relationship between the two planets between your sun and venus are and that would be indicative but like i said i wouldn't be surprised if jupiter might be thrown in there as well too to see like the longevity of the relationship in there Um, but yeah, as, um, mentioned, the tips are, um, when it comes to the article, so they mainly, um, the reporter and the astrologer mainly just mentioned, Hey, look at the sign that Jupiter happens to be in, because that'll be your ideal, um, in a partner or in a spouse. And then look at the house. Um, you know, and they, like I said, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the representations, if you're a woman, you're going to represent yourself as Venus because that's the feminine energy. And then you're going to look towards Jupiter for your husband, uh, gentlemen who are looking for other gentlemen. Um, you're going to represent yourself as the sun and look towards, uh, and I'm sorry, not Venus. You're going to be looking towards Jupiter, um, as your spouse. Non-binary, um, it's a combination between Venus and the sun, and then looking at Jupiter um, as the spouse. But I just remember thinking, um, you know, when I was doing the research, my uh, natal Venus placement is in Virgo. And my Jupiter placement, pardon me, my Jupiter placement is in Sagittarius. So that's actually a heavy squared relationship. Um, and I think a little, you know, like I said, there wasn't enough time nor enough pages to cover, you know, if there should be a hard aspect or if there should be a soft aspect, how to, you know, count that. And I just remembered when I was doing research, it's like, Oh wow. Finding a spouse for me must be very impossible because I have this massive square between Venus and Jupiter. It's, it's not looking too great for me. And, I thought I would actually touch on that because I don't think that that necessarily is true. Um, not in wholehearted wholeheartedness. I think when it comes to the easier aspects, so like say you have you're, um, a lady who has Venus trined Jupiter, or if you have Venus sextile Jupiter, um, that just kind of tells me that you know from a very early age that you do want to get married. You know, you're not on the fence, you're not really kind of wondering what will happen. Um, you know, you're not really hesitant about it when you meet the right person and you you see the one you're you're ready for it. I actually also think that when it comes to the um easier aspects that you're not just ready for marriage. I think also there's an aspect in you where you might be depending on your relationship with Jupiter and Venus. Like if you have other planets, either conjunct Venus or Jupiter or might be around, you know, like also might be, you know, kind of forming other aspects to Jupiter or Venus, you might expect marriage um, when it comes to finding somebody who you care about and with whom you, you love. Now on the opposite spectrum, which, you know, by the way, Stargazers, I'm always, um, very sex positive, um, on this podcast and along with being sex positive, also being very, um, relationship positive. You know, if you, um, you find somebody who you love, you expect to get married, you expect that ring on your finger. Um, that's absolutely fine. I mean, as long as That help that seems to help you that makes you happy. That's where you want to be in life So be it that that's a that's a great. I think that's a great aspect um, in a in a natal chart so, I mean if you do have an easy aspect between Venus and Jupiter or the Sun and Jupiter or a combination between uh, Sun and Venus and Jupiter and there's an easy aspect um, that's usually kind of like what it indicates in my eyes Whereas like someone like me, where I have, um, a hard aspect. So I would say if somebody has like, say Venus squared or the sun squared or a combination, like maybe say you have, you might be like me where the sun's actually trying my Jupiter position, uh, or the sun's trying the Jupiter position, but maybe Venus is in hard aspect or maybe Venus is in great aspect, but, um, you know, the sun's in hard aspect, um, I also think, too, Jupiter and Venus or Jupiter and the Sun might be um, either in opposition or quincunx. That's where I just say, like, when it's squared, I would actually say that's not, that. what that indicates more than anything is that the energy between the two planets and the two signs really indicates a huge lesson when it comes to relationship or relationships. My personal, um, kind of journey, if you may, with relationships, I noticed this even before I was sexually assaulted at 29, was that, um, you know, Venus square Jupiter usually indicates a hardship with commitment it's hard to commit. It's hard to pin this person down because they're really very free. Um, You know, they're very broad minded, you know, very much like Jacques de Casanova, where he mentioned, it's like, why? Yeah. I think it was within uh, Don Giovanni um, where he actually helped Mozart write the lyrics. But I think in Don Giovanni, He'd mentioned something like, "Why get married and tie myself down when there's these opportunities to meet loads of women everywhere, and I can be so much happier doing this?" And I just thought that that was so that's such a Casanova, you know, line, such a Jacques de Casanova line. But uh, that can be very true for Venus square Jupiter, and um, in my view, I kind of feel like I, I. kind of liked that line. Not only was it, you know, made me crack up with Jacques de Casanova, but I kind of felt like that was me um, for a while with relationships where a lot of the guys want to tie me down or a lot of the guys want, you know, they'd start discussing babies. And I had one guy, I did one guy who was discussing marriage and babies on the first date I was surprised I actually allowed this relationship to carry on for about like two weeks because right then and there, whenever anyone, like especially on a first date starts to discuss babies and marriage, I'm about ready to run out the door and leave craters, let alone skid marks in my wake. Um, it freaks me out. You know, commitment can kind of freak me out. And especially now, um, after, you know, like I said, post my, my 29 years of age, Um, you know, it kind of makes me a little suspicious as well too, but I think that that fear, that suspicion, that, um, fear of commitment and suspicion is something that I wrestle with personally when it comes to relationships. Furthermore, between Virgo, who's kind of, Virgo's kind of prudish, whereas, um, Sagittarius is really quite free. Mix the two together. Um, I mean, I can be quite critical of other people. And, you know, I think what the reason for why is that I can be quite critical with myself. I, I'm just going to be flat out honest. Um, the criticisms that I give to other people sometimes reflect my criticisms of myself. And I'm really trying to work with that as much as possible. And then also wanting, you know, again, the freedom with Sagittarius, with Sagittarius just wanting to be free, wanting to be my own woman is also something that I wrestle with within relationships as well. It's not like it's it's something that can be that can lift overnight, but it is something that I'm continually conscientious of. And that, um you know, how to work with this to where I'm not just, you know, running out the door whenever anyone wants to talk about marriage or babies for that matter. Oh, yeah. Whenever somebody starts mentioning babies and pregnancy I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond out. <laughs> um, I always have been since I was in my twenties, but, uh, you know, it, it, this is the sort of thing that I kind of wrestle with. It's like how to be a little more, a little less critical, a little more present and maybe how to be, you know, not so freaked out because sometimes, I mean, it's, it's only natural that if if you're close to someone for so long that they ask about marriage or, you know, somebody is keen on marriage if they start, you know, bringing up the subject. But I think, you know, trying to be open about, you know, Marriage, You know, the concept of marriage and, you know, that doesn't always mean walking down the aisle with a with a veil and our traditional con- uh, concepts. I mean, there's very many informal ways in which their marriage can apply or intimacy can be applied or being close and being united with someone can also apply. And these are things that I've had to think about over time along with it being overtly critical and kind of tone that down. But uh, hopefully my own example kind of helps with this one. I usually would say if you have a square, take a look at the dynamics, like the warring dynamics between the two planets and also between the two signs that they're in. Sometimes they might give you keys as to what you're struggling with within the relationship and how to work past those um those struggles, you know what you might need to be a little more mindful of when you are in a relationship uh, with a opposition or quincunx. Uh, normally, that's two planets that are kind of being like with an oppositions, two planets in opposite to each other, and quincunx is usually a little bit like an opposition, but not quite. Um, what I usually recommend with um, like say Jupiter and Venus are on opposition or in quincunx. Uh, One thing that I always recommend about oppositions and quincunxes is is that there's also a lot of um, compartmentalization that's going on between the two energies of the planets, as well as the two signs that the planets happen to be in. So finding a common ground and where the two planetary positions are similar as opposed to not really well alike, um, can really be very helpful. Like for instance, say that you have like your guy who's looking for another man, you know, for husband and say that your son is actually in Taurus, but your Jupiter position is in Scorpio and you're kind of thinking, well, Taurus and Scorpio can be, you know, they can appear to be leagues apart. Scorpio is very um, behind the scenes, very mysterious, whereas um, Taurus is very upfront and they like to, you know, they're very blunt, they're very upfront with their intentions and they they kind of tell it as it is. However, when you look a little deep, more deeply at both signs, um, both signs really have one thing in common, which I think is loyal, you know, Scorpios are loyal. Taurians are also very loyal to the point of being very intimate now to the wrong signs. It can feel like they're being smothered to the right signs. It can feel like they're very close. They like to pull people close to them. They like to get intimate really very soon and they like to establish connections within a relationship. Um, But that's where I feel like that's where they're the most similar. Other things too, both are very keen and really great with money. And it's not only saving money, but also how to generate money as well, too, and finances. Um, and I would say, you know, they do, they both can have an eye for luxury as well, too. Um, whereas, you know, uh, Taurus is notorious for buying the cushioned chairs, the upholstered chairs. Scorpio, not so much. Scorpio does like the creature comforts. Um, within their home they, they do like you know having nice things as well too um, but they probably teach taurians the value of the nice things as well too but i think this is where these are good starting points where these two planetary positions can kind of inform you of where say like say that um You know, fidelity or loyalty is something where you're like, yeah, that is a common buzzword that I'm having problems with within relationships. This would be a good time to kind of sit down and kind of maybe reflect on what loyalty, you know, loyalty means different things to different signs. You know, loyalty doesn't have to be expressed exactly as Scorpio plays it out, nor does it have to be expressed as how Taurus plays that out as well, too. Um, You know, loyalty could mean something very different to you and maybe just reflecting on that word, the the word of loyalty um, might help you to come to a higher ground um, within relationships of where where you might have lacked with that or where you might um, you might struggle with that and maybe coming to terms with that before you go for the next relationship. Um, you know, really kind of getting an idea of what does loyalty mean to me? You know, what does it look like to me in a relationship and how can I maintain my end of loyalty? You know, I, I kind of feel I'm kind of the big believer of if you have that sort, if you have like whatever ails you or whatever is a challenge to you, if you have it down for yourself more than likely, it might also fix some other problems. Like say you've had some problem with loyalty um, when it comes to your partner. Maybe that could be because um, loyalty is kind of not so firm for you as well. The firmer that you get with that concept and what it looks like for you, the more that you can define whether or not a future partner is going to be loyal to you or it's just going to be one, a, a common string of a pattern of events that might have happened to you as well too. Um, so I think that that's really good to kind of uh, sleuth out as well. The same with Um, you know, even though the, the planets and the signs are very unlike each other. Um, again, they have some similarities in common, like, you know, um, Aries and, Scorpio, for instance, are very unlike each other. However, um, how they're alike is their motivation. They're, they're both ruled by um, Mars and their motivation transcends um, the motivation of at least like 10 people. You know, they have the motivation of those 10 people. And I feel like that's something that they can share in common. But that motivation could be where um, that's, there could be a relationship, in relationships, motivation could be lacking. So again, reflecting on what does motivation look like for me, because again, it doesn't have to be expressed in the Aries way, nor in the Scorpio way. It could be expressed in your own set of events and in your own way as well, too. Um, I think the more that we can define what things look like for us, where we ail, and what we want to exactly look for in others, let alone in ourselves as well, too, I think that's the really big, nice theme between Jupiter and Venus or Jupiter in the sun's position or combination as well, too. And I did want to touch on that because you know, the article did not really go into it very well. And I, you know, again, it's like, what, what if, what, what if, what if, you know, and, um, it doesn't mean that you're screwed. It just means that maybe there are some, you know, like if you have a hard aspect, doesn't mean that you're screwed. doesn't mean that you're never going to find your partner. You can, and you, you will. It's just, um, I feel like you just need to refine some things first and, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people who have the same position that I do, um, or in a similar position. So I think that this is a very common, um, situation. If you do have a hard aspect, please don't feel left out or all alone. Um, I think that this is more common than realized, um, a little more common, um, just as much as the easy aspects can be as well. All right. So along with that, um, the article also mentioned, make sure to look at the house that Jupiter happens to be within, because that can be how you meet your partner. So like, for instance, if Mars is in your fourth house, um, you're more likely to meet your partner in a setting where it's a little more cozy and it's like a second home away from home. Whereas, um, maybe like in the eighth house, it could be a metaphysical fair or, um, a tantra festival or a tantric class or, um, even just a metaphysical class as well too. Maybe a holistic class as well too. Um, the seventh the eighth and the tw- twelfth houses can be kind of nebulous a little bit but I, I kind of feel like metaphysical fairs um, anything along the spiritual veins might be a good place where um, you might fe- meet your future spouse as well too um and you know first house you might meet that person you know maybe like at a a self-help event or you might meet the one um, you know, at a very personal event for you, like maybe at your own birthday party, a friend of a friend comes, you know, friend brings his or her friend has that feeling that you two would hit it off. And that's possibly how you guys will, you know, will meet or, um, happen to meet. Whereas with the fifth house, it could just be you're at a party and there's like, maybe either at the office or, um, you know, just a general party for, um, that your friend is holding. And again, your future spouse could be a friend of a friend. Um, uh, you know, a couple of other examples, like with the third house, I would say a speaking engagement or an intellectual engagement. Um, possibly you could meet your future spouse in school. Um, I'd say like a third and ninth houses, you could possibly, uh, that would have that connection. Where you might, um, maybe like that third house, you might meet that, you know, your sweetheart in high school and you guys have hit it off ever since. Or your ninth house, you could have met your significant other in college and you've hit it off ever since. And no, there's, like I said, again, no right or wrong way. That's, that's awesome. Or you might meet at a speaking event or at a, you know, an event where you're learning higher learning um, as well, too um so that that also um can also be a part of it but either way the um the ha- the different houses are very interesting with how you can really meet your spouse and um the different ways in which that can come about um you know it's it's i would also say when you look at your house you know take a look at again the the themes of that house but also take you'll know, kind of use your imagination as to what that means like you know fourth house means home well, that could mean a home away from home, like a coffee shop or maybe a wine tasting or maybe like a food tasting event. Or, you know, you might meet at a favorite restaurant um, that's like a home away from home for you. Um, you know, kind of getting into that Cancerian vibe there. But, um, you know, really, it's like I always just say use the imagination um, wherever your um, Jupiter placement hits and whatever the, the houses themes happen to be it might not be as literal as the houses can be. Um, but like I said, it, it can, like I said, you can kind of come close. And if you're, if you're absolutely out there and you're looking for the one you can be, as the parade article had mentioned, you can actually be far more available in that area in regards to meeting the one also. in speaking of meeting the one, Why Jupiter as well, or what also Jupiter represents when it comes to meeting your future spouse or partner is that Jupiter can, you know, um, so they, you know, basically the article said, look at the sign of your partner or look at the sign of Jupiter. That might be the sign your partner would be in. Again, I took a little bit of contention with that because again, what if you're say, a double Aquarius and you have cancer, you, you know, like say um, your Jupiter placement is in cancer. Um, that would be at odds already, not just because the position of the planets, but also Aquarians need to feel freedom and they need to feel kind of um, have room for logic and have room to be their own unique selves. Whereas with cancer, they're more concerned about making a connection and making a nice, solid, stable home, both for themselves as well as for whom they, they value as their future spouse. So for this Aquarian, I would say um, pairing an Aquarian with a Cancer is not really necessarily a good idea. I would say um, the spouse could potentially have traits that are very Cancerian. You know, that would be, um, of an appeal to this particular Aquarian. They could, you know, like this aqu- Aquarian could be a Geminian who might have a lot of cancer aspects. And instead of being aloof and flighty, um, all the time, they actually might be really caring and kind of compassionate. They have that soft heart inside this, you know, the shell. Um, and just getting to that soft heart might be the really biggest, wonderful, most rewarding thing ever. And the, the one thing that this Aquarian loves about this person. So, um, again, I would say, um, if not the actual sign in and of itself, maybe, um, kind of like the attributes of that sign as well too. Um, You know, the same thing, like if somebody has Jupiter and Scorpio, somebody who might have scorpion attributes, um, like somebody who might be loyal, who might be a little bit mysterious, not so mysterious to where they torture you, but where they might be, they might have that little hint of mystery that you're looking for, or they might have that little hint of, you know, revealing truths that you normally would not see and you know, also that emotional intensity that you're also looking for as well too. That is like I said, if you have Jupiter and Scorpio. So I would say while you're you're looking to meet that potential partner, take a look at the sign that Jupiter happens to be in because those attributes are not only things that are attractive to you, but also that your spouse might the might your spouse might have those sort of qualities with those qualities they might help to inspire you to also embody those qualities as well um i i kind of can speak from um experience on this one my jupiter placements in sagittarius i've always loved i've always wanted to be as free and as independent as a sagittarian and i feel like that's the independence part is one thing i continually work on um with myself and If I had a spouse who would help me with that, um, that would be awesome Or a spouse who was just that, who was just independent. That would be really awesome. Actually, (laughs) um, that, that would really appeal to me as well too. Also Sagittarians have appealed to me in the past, um, when it comes to crushes and boyfriends, uh, in that regard. So, um, stargazers, that really kind of encompasses the parade article. Other sources that I did take a look at, um, were actually, there was one particular article in Medium where it's, they kind of mentioned, they kind of kept mentioning air and water ascendance. Like air ascendance would be night, you know, like a, if you have an, like if you have a fire ascendant, sorry, not air, if you had a fire ascendant, you know, your spouse is going to look really tan. Whereas if you have a water ascendant, your spouse might look really pale. Um, They didn't mention earth or air in that article. I would say if you want to take a look at ascendant theory um, and that's your thing, definitely check out medium or just definitely kind of check that out in general. There's a ton of resources on that one. I would say earth would be like slightly tanned. Um, not so tanned that they've, you know, they've been in the sun, you know, but they, you know, kind of like medium tanned. And then I'd say air signs would probably look like someone like me where they're kind of maybe, you know, they've kind of looked like they've, they're kind of worldly. They look very smart, possibly having glasses. But again, this is so general that I would hate, like I said, I'd hate to just say, oh yeah, air signs always wear glasses, because that's probably not true. Or the air ascendant, you know, you'd probably be attracted to somebody who wears glasses, which is not always true. So I would say definitely take a look at different um, resources on this one, if that also appeals to you. Um, it, Like I said, with Vedic astrology especially, it gets very fascinating um, when it comes to you know what will your spouse look like due to the you know your ascendant and also the planets on your ascendant and you know it definitely it definitely gets very interesting as well. But above all, stargazers, I do hope that this episode was informative for you and also as interesting as it was for me. It's definitely a um, a very eye opening sort of episode. As always we're actually coming up to a full moon, um, and it, and she is igniting the sky like no other. So this is a great time to look up at the stars. Um, and of course to take a little break with all the craziness that's happening out there. I think that's really along the lines of not only Pluto trying to transition into Aquarius, but also, um, Uranus just still being in retrograde until the end of this month. Actually that'll be for just a couple more weeks now that, I, that now that I'm looking at it. Um, but above all star gazers, um, it also helps us with looking at, at the stars to look at our origins of astrology when it comes to those 12 constellations that inspire the 12 signs of the zodiac. So that's always nice as well too. Above all, Stargazers, I do hope that you guys are nice and well, that you're staying above the cold and flu season, um, that you're, like I said, that you're being safe out there. I know there's a lot of crazy drivers at this time, um, but, you know, I, I do hope that you are well, that you stay well, and that you guys stay safe. And between now and next week, Stargazers, I will talk with you then. If you have any further questions or comments for Sandra Mizik, you can contact her at either mizik m i s e k sandra at gmail dot com, or at her Instagram page at sandra dot again that's m i s e k. For as little as two dollars a month, you can also become a Patreon to this podcast. Please visit patreon dot com forward slash Seventh House Astrology for more details.